my mic on. There we go. Uh, and now it's on. Um, so we're going to play a game. Are you guys ready? Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, okay. Everybody stand back up. Ready? Chips all in. Okay. <laughs> Lift your hands. This way. Over here. Over here. No jumping jacks. Okay, cool. That was it. Um, that was, I just, I don't know why I did it, but this morning during the 9 a.m., I was kind of like, man, I'm feeling tired. I need some energy. So I just had, I just did it spontaneously, and because I did it to them, now I did it to you guys. So um, good morning. Uh, my name's Alex. I serve as one of the pastors here. It's good to be with you guys as we worship Jesus. Uh, as AJ just kind of read, we were spending time in Matthew chapter 11 today. Um, if you've been coming, you obviously know that we've been trucking through the gospel of Matthew for several weeks and months even now. Um, and throughout the Gospel of Matthew, uh, we've been seeing that Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is revealing to us and to the original readers that Jesus is the Son of God. That, that's his whole point, and is he's pointing us to the King of creation, the Messiah that Israel was waiting for. Jesus is that Messiah. He is the Savior who, to come, who came to save his people from their sin. Matthew's been revealing this stuff throughout a bunch of different ways. He kind of starts off first by recounting a bunch of prophecies that were about the Messiah, how Jesus fulfilled those prophecies, tells stories of how Jesus stood in the temptation of Satan and absolutely conquered that, how Jesus taught the scriptures, how he continued to proclaim the kingdom of heaven was at hand. He proclaimed repentance. He taught, not just taught people, but he actually demonstrated his authority. Uh, he demonstrated his authority by casting out demons, by inviting Gentiles into the kingdom. Uh, he raised people from the dead. He proclaimed the forgiveness of sin. He judged those who were unrepentant. And he not just said all this stuff, but he related to people as he walked with them. He related with people as he gave them an example to look to. And this entire time that we've been trucking through the gospel of Matthew, we've been seeing things that are being said about Jesus or things that Jesus is doing. And here today in chapter 11, we get a piece of scripture where Jesus says who he is himself. And it's one of the most beautiful passages that we have in all of scripture as we kind of consider and think about it. A lot of people maybe have it as their bumper sticker on their Facebook wall, whatever it might be. The fact that Jesus is gentle and lowly and that we can give him our burdens and we can carry his yoke and uh, that his burden is light. That's something that strikes us with just awe and wonder and beauty. And today we get to spend some time really diving into What's that actually mean? What is, what is Jesus truly trying to point us to as he discusses and tells us, hey, here is who I am. So the main point that we're going to see today in Matthew chapter 11 is that Jesus gives rest to weary souls. Jesus gives rest to weary souls. So I'm going to read it again for us, uh, simply because I want these words to really stick to our hearts, that God would continue to speak to us through his word. And so Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 25, says, At that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. So uh, Jesus gives these words, and he prays these, to, prays these words to the Father after a really tough 
passage to kind of read through. If you look at the first half or the first two-thirds of Matthew chapter 11, it's Jesus essentially talking to John the Baptist's disciples, and John's in jail, and he's trying to figure out, Jesus, is, are you actually the Messiah? And then Jesus says, yeah, I'm the one who's continuing to go and do all of these things. This is who I am. And then he starts talking about the unresponsive generation. He, he condemns just different places and different cities because they're not actually turning to Jesus. They're not repenting of their sin. And it gets us to this point to where Jesus starts to pray to the Father. And in praying to the Father that there are people who have, been, who have not repented of their sin, Jesus says, Father, I thank you for these things. And that sounds kind of weird as you consider and think about it. Like, Jesus is praying to God and he's the Father, and he's saying, I thank you for these things, Lord, that you have hidden them from the wise and the intelligent, but you've revealed it to the infants. So as you kind of look at that, it's, it's pretty interesting to just wonder, okay, why is Jesus saying thank you for hiding uh, the revelation of, of who Jesus is to these people? Because when he says, hey, these things, he's simply saying these things are the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what he's pointing to. And so as Jesus discusses the wise and the intelligent, he's pointing to the people who didn't repent. Because as you look and we read through Matthew, the people who are unrepentant of their sin are people who think they already know everything right? So as they're lifting themselves up, it's their pride that's getting in the way of them not coming to faith in Jesus. It's their own pride that's getting in the way of them saying, no, I think I know what God is actually like. I know the scriptures better than anybody. I'm a teacher of the law. And when Jesus himself, the God of the universe, stands right before their eyes, they totally just push him away. And, and so as Jesus is calling them wise and intelligent, he's actually kind of mocking them because he's saying, your pride is standing in the way of God being revealed to you right before your eyes. And, and so as he's talking to these people, he then contrasts it with the, with, uh, the infants, the babies, right, the children. And now as he says the infants, he doesn't actually mean like infant babies, but what he's getting to is the humble heart that kids have, the, the humility to know where they're actually at in life. Kids know that they need help in order to do some things. They, they have the humility to ask for help from different parents or different people. Those infants refers to this language of describing people who understand their need for help, who understand exactly who they are in the position that they're in. And so as Jesus kind of contrast these two groups of people. There's the wise and the intelligent who are saying, no, I know who, what God is supposed to be like. I, I've made him up in my own mind, and here's what he's supposed to be like. And then over here, he's saying, here's the infants, the people who are humbly submitting and saying, I am in great need of a savior. I'm in great need of someone to come and help me. And as we look at this contrast, it looks a little weird that he's talking about the father revealing himself to some and not to others. But this isn't the only time that Jesus uses language like this. If you go to Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is speaking these parables, right? These allegorical stories to, to the crowds and to the teachers of their day. And he's speaking these things and using these parables to teach lessons, and as he's going on and on through these parables, the disciples ask him, Master, why do, you, why do you teach this way? Why do you teach in parables? And so Jesus responds to them, and he says this in Matthew chapter 13. He says, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given for you to know, but it has not been given to them. 
Then he goes on a little bit later to say, blessed are your eyes because they do see and your ears because they do hear. That's the same kind of language that he uses here in chapter 11 and even um, in chapter 11, he says, for those who have ears to hear, let them hear. For those who have eyes to see, let them see. And so Jesus is continuing to expose the reality that some people's pride is getting in their way of understanding who he is, of understanding the fact that he is the Messiah who's standing right before them. And so as we consider these verses, as, as we try to understand the complexity of these verses and, and just wonder, okay, no one knows the Father except the Son, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And how does that make sense? How do we actually piece that together today? Uh, we, verse 27 gives us great encouragement at the same time that it confuses us. Because as we ponder on verse 27, the main point that Jesus is trying to get to is the fact that he's been revealed. The Son has been revealed. If we think about it, everything that's happened until chapter 11 has been other people or, or Jesus demonstrating things of who he is. But at this point, as he's praying to the Father, this is Jesus verbally communicating to the crowds, I am the Son. I am the Messiah. I'm the one who's come to save his people from their sin. So the main point that he's pointing us to and showing and demonstrating for us is the intimacy that he has with the Father. They use this language of knowing, and as we consider knowing, there's intellectual knowledge, right? Like I could look out to the crowd and I can say, oh, I know somebody has a yellow shirt on, or I know some facts about you. I know some things, uh, whether it's your favorite color, whether it's the color of your eyes, or where you love to eat Mexican food at the most, or whatever it is, but then there's a different type of knowledge. This type of knowledge is intimate knowing. It's like knowing someone like a spouse, like being completely open with each other and completely available to one another. It's intimate knowledge. And here, Jesus, that's what he's communicating, that he's got this intimate knowledge with the Father. They are one who is together the one true God. As we consider like married couples, they are one flesh who has been brought together. And so the authority of Jesus then here is demonstrated for us. It's demonstrated as he talks about his relationship and intimacy with the Father, but even what he says the Father has done. He says, all things have been entrusted to me by my Father. All things have been entrusted to me. This, this relationship is one where the Father hands this great inheritance of power over to the Son. And this language, again, is all over Scripture that Jesus is the one true God who has authority over all things. In John chapter 1, verse 18, it says, No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. That's speaking of Jesus. John chapter 3, and verse 35, it says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Speaking of Jesus, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on them. So we can try and get caught in the weeds of this passage, and we can go back and forth about the doctrine of election uh, or not, or, and what that looks like, and what that even means for us today. But as we really look at this passage, what is being communicated to us is the fact that Jesus has been revealed. Jesus has been revealed as a son, the Messiah to come, to give us life, to save his people from his sin. And we should be in awe of the relationship between the Father and the Son, and the fact that Jesus is standing before this crowd, and he's saying, the Messiah has been revealed to you, and he's right here. 
All authority, all things have been handed down to me. And again, that language is used throughout the gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 8, we see Jesus has authority over demons or over disease. So chapter 9, over the winds, over the, uh, the storm. Chapter 10, we see him continue to bring people to life over and over again. We see Jesus's authority on display. And now here he's communicating his authority over all things in his relationship with the Father. So this crowd, as they hear this prayer from Jesus they would have known exactly what he's saying. They, they would have heard the intimacy between him and the father and gone, oh my gosh, this man is claiming to be the Messiah. He's claiming to be the son of God. He's claiming to be the one who is supposed to save us from our sin. And he makes the invitation to them with that authority. He says, this is who I am. And at the same time, come to me. He's not saying I have all authority over all things. So get out of my way. But he says, I have all things have been handed down to me. So come to me. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we come to worship and sing to today. That same invitation is for us this morning. As we consider who Jesus is and what he's done, would we actually ask that Jesus would reveal himself to us every day? Would we ask that he would reveal himself to us even more so this morning as we worship him and hear from his word? Would we ask that our eyes would be wide open, that our hearts would be open, and that our ears would be open to hear? Because this is great news that we get to hear that Jesus has come to reveal himself. He's here for all of us to continue to go to. He's opening his arms wide open and saying, come to me. Now, I don't know if you guys saw earlier this week. I don't know all the details about it at all, but I saw a couple of pictures or a couple highlights that they were able to get a new picture with some fancy microscope or microscope, telescope, that's the word, uh, of the, like the black hole that's at the center of our galaxy or something like that. And as I'm kind of like looking at the picture, I'm like, that just looks like a really burnt fried egg. And, <laughs> and as I was kind of considering it, I was just like, man, that, that takes some like intense technology to be able to like zoom in all the way to be able to take that picture of like that black hole. But as I consider that and just think how far that is, how vast the universe is, I think there's a God who spoke words and created all of that. And yet that same God who's created the stars, who's created the earth, who's created all the galaxy, who's bigger than the universe itself made each one of you and me. And he's come to reveal himself to us. When we think how vast the universe is and how small we are, it's kind of crazy to me to think that the creator of the world came to sit with us today. And he said, here I am, come to me. And it makes me think of this relationship between the Father and the Son and just how wonderful it is, the, the fact that God chose to reveal himself to us, that he desired for us to be in relationship with him. And at the same time, he also communicates how we could be in relationship with him. No one, comes to, no one knows the Father except the Son. No one knows the Son except the Father. And it's absolutely beautiful because verse 27 almost sounds like it's out of the Gospel of John. John uses a lot of language like this, and, and John even tells us, hey, no one can come to the Father except through me, is what Jesus says. And so that's good news for us to sit back and take in and go, wow, we could have relationship with the God of the universe 
through Jesus. Because of Jesus, we can know God. Because of Jesus, we just don't know intellectual things about him, but we can be in relationship with him. And this Jesus that is authority over all things, over and over again, we see how he's revealed to us in the scriptures. In John chapter 17, verse 3, it says, This is eternal life, that you may know the one and only true God, and the one who you have sent, Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, the apostle Paul, he writes, he is before all things and by him, all things are held together. That's Jesus. By him, all things are held together. And at the same time, he came to dwell among men. How beautiful is it that we have a God who's continued to reveal himself right before our eyes? Think about it with like the kids, uh, we, you know, and during the 9 a.m. gathering, there's about 40-ish uh, kids that typically come on Sunday morning. And if you're here in between the mix of the gatherings and stuff, you see the kids kind of running around. And, and when the gathering's out, the adults will leave. And then what typically happens is kids will kind of run to their parents. They'll see their parent and they go, oh, okay, you're my parent. I need something from you. Will you please help me go get this donut? I can't reach the table. I just want the frosting, so don't give me the bottom half. I love that they do that. And then you see a bunch of like half-eaten donuts in the trash can. It's kind of funny to just think, man, I love the kids. They crack me up. Um, but as, as we sit there and we think about like what the kids do, they have this humble heart. Whether they know it or not, they're joyfully asking for help. They're putting themselves in a place that says, I can't do it. I can't reach for the donut. I can't go to the bathroom on my own. I I need somebody's help to change my diaper, whatever it is. In their humble hearts, they go to their parents to ask for help. And so as we consider and look at this passage and think about the wise and the intelligent, and we think about the infants that Jesus is referring to, and we consider the fact that Jesus has revealed himself to us, the question for us to pose ourselves then is, are we humble in heart or are we pretending to be proud? Are we sitting here saying, yeah, I have a better view of who God is than what scripture says? And this is what God is like, and it's really just the God that you've made up in your mind that fits your own box. Or are we saying, I'm someone who's in great need. Jesus, you've revealed yourself to me, and I know I need you. Where are we at? That's the same question that Jesus is asking us today. Would Jesus continue to reveal himself to us, or are we going to be cold and push him off to the side and be like the wise, proud people that we read of here. Because the beauty is that God has chosen to reveal himself to all who draw near and who will freely come to him. So knowing God is an amazing gift that we could have because here we, we know him in his intimate relationship and his claim to be the Messiah, the one who has come to save his people from their sin. But at the same time, he also tells us who he is to the bottom of his heart, the core of his being. So verse 28, it reads this. It says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So right after Jesus says, 
some kind of weird, hard things to understand that, uh, that, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him, feels like he's saying, hey, I'm going to reveal myself to some people and some people not so, but then Jesus counters that same thing with saying, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, all who are tired, all who are heavy laden, come to me freely, open-handed. He's offering the weary and burdened to come to him, to come and see him, to rest with him. Verse 28, like, I mean, it, everybody knows verse 28, has heard it and feels just great love for Jesus when we read verse 28. Yes, Jesus, yes, of course I will come to you. You're weary, burdened. I will give you rest. That's great news that we love to receive, receive and sit with. It's one of the most beautiful passages. But as he tells the people, hey, come to me all who are weary and burdened, who he's speaking to, the, the crowd that he's speaking to, they're not weary and burdened because their job is hard. They're not weary and burdened because they're tired from doing yard work the day before, but they're wearied and burdened because they're religiously exhausted. They've been burdened by the law, the law that's kind of over them, covering them with rules, exhausted with trying to be perfect and trying to win God over. You see, the Jewish leaders of their day, we've read up until this point, again, time and time again, that they're always pounding them and hammering them with strict rules. They're adding laws to God's law, and over and over again, they're telling people that they're in sin, they need to go make more sacrifices, they need to be just a little bit more perfect, and this place is a great burden on them. Could you imagine, every single day, religious leaders coming to you and saying, you're not doing good enough. You got to make more sacrifices. You got to go repent a little bit more. You got to continue to follow these rules. Make sure you stay within the bounds of our Jewish ties. That would be absolutely exhausting. And I'd probably run out of sheep to sacrifice (laughs) time and time again, over and over. And in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus actually rebukes the religious leaders. He rebukes them and he condemns them because as he tells them, he says, he's speaking about them to them. So it's kind of funny how he does it. But he says, they tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. So what he's saying in that last section, they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. He's saying, you as a religious leader should be wanting to help your people walk with God. And yet you're just putting more burdens on them time and time again, over and over. And so he says, they tie up these heavy loads and you put it on the people's shoulder. And he's demonstrating how these religious leaders have driven these people to religious exhaustion, to where they're saying, you need to be absolutely perfect every single day of every moment of your life. And it's gotten to the point to where these people are absolutely weary and burdened and exhausted and tired, and they need rest. So here's where Jesus makes the invitation to them. Verse 29, Jesus uses this description, take up my yoke, take up my yoke and learn from me, he says. The yoke was simply something that they put on the oxen who would carry the heavy loads, who would carry the carts, and they would work the fields and different things. And in the Old Testament, actually, the yoke was actually used as a symbol of oppression. And so as they consider the yoke, they also use this phrase, the yoke of the law, that the law would be a yoke on them that they would have to carry and it'd be a burden on their backs. And essentially what the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes would say is carry this load, live with it, deal with it and do it perfectly. And so it's Jesus here. He tells them, hey, take up my yoke. He says, look at this a different way. 
understand what it truly is. The yoke that Jesus is inviting them to is a shared yoke. It's one that has two oxen driving together, right? Sometimes you'd see it with just one ox, but here Jesus is painting this picture that it would be a double oxen yoke, a shared one, and often they would tie the the ox together. They would say, hey, we're going to put a strong one with a weak one. The strong one is going to be strong enough to pull the cart on its own. It's going to be the one to be able to carry the burden of everything. It's going to be the one who already knows the master's commands, who can continue to keep in step with what the master is saying and knows exactly the direction it's heading. The weak one would then simply learn from the other one. It would walk in step with it. It would start to learn the commands of the master as the strong, oaks is, the strong ox is pulling it along with it, carrying that load for it, and it would continue to grow stronger as it walks with it, as they continue to pair together as they walk towards carrying the load. Now, Jesus here, he's telling them, I'm going to give you rest. So take up my yoke, and I will give you rest. He's not saying, hey, I'm going to come, I'm going to take your yoke, I'm going to put it on me, and then you just go stand off onto the side. But he's inviting them to take up his yoke with him, to join into it. What Jesus is telling the people here is he's saying, I'm going to get down with you. I'll be the strong ox. I'll be the one to take you along. I'll be the one to take on the burden. I'll be the one to continue to carry the load. But you have to come with me. He's inviting them to this partnership of pulling alongside of Jesus, of being in step with him. When we read verse 28, we love it. We love verse 28 because it's like, yes, Jesus is going to give me rest. He is gentle and lowly at heart. Heck yeah, I am burdened. I am tired. Here you go, Jesus, take it all. And what Jesus is inviting us to is saying, yes, I will take it all. But at the same time, I want you to come with. He's saying, keep in step with me. Let's do this as a relationship. And in verse 29, specifically the part where he says, hey, learn from me, we tend to skip right over it. We love verse 28. Verse 29 gets uh, no bumper sticker time. (laughs) But as we really consider and we sit here and we think about this, Jesus is saying, do life with me. This is what we're going to do together. We kind of maybe think, isn't carrying the yoke supposed to be easy? Isn't Jesus' burden supposed to be light? How can that make sense where he's going to give us rest, but at the same time, he's asking us to carry the yoke and learn from him? Friends, we often think that discipleship is, is tough. We think discipleship is burdensome. We think discipleship could be super legalistic, and it's just a bunch of rules that we just have to follow in order to be good Christians. We don't think it's restful by any means at different times. We tend to say, I'll take Jesus' grace— But where Jesus asks me to walk in obedience, mm, I don't know about that one. Or we go, I I will strictly, I'm going to be as obedient as I can be, and then we forget about his grace completely. And so as we look at the two ends of things, we often say these things can't work together. But what Jesus is saying is, no, they do work together. This is what walking with me is actually like. And so as Jesus says, this rest that I'm offering you is a different kind of rest than you've ever thought of. When we typically think of rest, we think of, okay, maybe my job is like a lot of learning, sitting at a computer, studying, a bunch of things that are uh, just on our mind constantly. And when we get home, we go, man, I need some mindless rest. I need to just like zone out, watch Netflix. I need to scroll on my phone and just kind of zone out so I don't have to think anymore. And that's going to give me rest. 
Or maybe we've got a, a, a big physical job where we're out, we're laboring, our body's hurting, or we had to do some stuff around the house or whatever it is. And at the end of that, we're chasing our kids around and we're exhausted and we're just like, I just need a nap. My body hurts. I need to just lay down for a little bit. That's not the rest that Jesus is talking about either. Or maybe we think, okay, I need to escape from my emotions for a little bit because all that stuff is just too hard to process through. So I just need to completely get away from it all and not think about any of it. That's not the type of rest that Jesus is offering either. The type of rest that Jesus is offering us is one that we learn. It's the yoke that we take on with him. It's discipleship and growing with Christ. And that's where true rest actually is. Jesus reveals to us first at the beginning of this section. He says, here is who I am. I'm revealing the fact that I'm the son. And in the second half, he says, I'm revealing what true rest is. I'm revealing how rest for your souls actually happens and comes to you and how you actually sit with it. Walking and working with Jesus is how we continue to find rest for our souls. We, we can sit here and sometimes think, okay, spiritual disciplines and praying and reading my Bible and going to city group and going to church, man, if I, if I just do all that stuff, I just feel like I'm being super legalistic. Or if someone invites you into it and encourages you, hey, would you consider coming along with us? Would you consider reading your Bible with me? We go, no, they're legalistic because they're trying to hold me accountable and they're just rules, rules, rules. But what Jesus is actually saying here is when you walk in step with me, When I'm the one who's carrying the load and you're right next to me, I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to continue to push you along with me. You're going to learn what it means to actually listen to the master's voice and to be obedient to his commands and to know which way to go and where to turn and how to carry this load with me ultimately. But at the same time, we often think, well, if we do that, then we're going to mess up and then it's all over. Friends, the burden has been carried. Jesus has already died for it. Jesus has continued to give his life, and he carried the entire burden to the point of the cross to where he gave his entire life. But then it didn't stop there because he rose from the dead. We got to worship him and sing to him on Easter Sunday, the resurrection Sunday that we sing, Jesus is alive. He is risen. He's carried the heavy burden for us. And so when we do mess up, when we fail, when we walk away from him sometimes, when we try to go mindlessly rest rather than spend time and find true rest in Jesus, we know it's always there for us. He says, come to me, all who are weary, all who are heavy burdened. Jesus invites us into that great rest. And we know that that rest is good because we read scripture and he says, this is what is true of us. First John chapter five, verse two and four, two through four, I think explains even this, this type of rest and walking with Jesus really well. It says this, it says, this is how we know that we love God's children. When we love God and obey his commands, for this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. And his commands are not a burden because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. So when uh, John writes that this is the victory that's conquered our world, our faith, he's not saying our faith is what conquers the world. He's saying what our faith is in conquers the world. And our faith is in Jesus, and he has victory over all things because all things have been handed and entrusted to him. 
And, and so as we look to Jesus and walking with Jesus, yeah, sometimes it's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. It'll, it'll take some discipline, but the yoke, is, it's not burdensome. It, it's a joy to walk with Christ because we know there's endless amounts of grace on the other side of that, that he continues to keep in step with us and to strengthen us so that we get to walk alongside with him. And in verse 29, we get a beautiful encouragement because as we sit with all of this, we think, oh man, this is going to be heavy. This is going to be tough sometimes. But what Jesus says is not, yeah, I'm going to whip you into shape. He says, for for I'm gentle and lowly. That's who he says he is. That's who his heart is. So this is the one time in all of scripture where Jesus says, this is what my heart is like. And when they talk about their heart in the Hebrew culture, they're not just saying, this is what my emotions are like. But he's saying, this is who I am at the very core of my being, gentle and lowly. So I think Matthew chapter 10 really covers this really well. Matthew chapter 10, verse 45 is actually the verse that I was reading and spending time in when I actually came to faith in Christ. This verse changed my life. But as I think about it, Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees and he's telling them who he is and he's demonstrating who he is. And he says that he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. If he has all things, if he controls all things, holds all things together, if he's that authority of God, he could have just come down and said, just do what I say. Just continue to keep working hard. Make sure you're perfect. But he doesn't say that. He says, I'm gentle and lowly. Take my yoke, for my burden is light. My yoke is easy. This is who Jesus is. It's the encouragement to be reminded that the work is done, it's paid for, it's finished, it's accomplished all by Jesus himself. He took on human flesh. He dwelt among us. He, He revealed himself to us. He taught us the beauty of what it meant to actually walk with the one true God. He provided salvation for our souls while we were dead in our sin. He gives us everlasting life, welcoming us freely. He doesn't say, come and I'll make sure you follow a bunch of rules. And if you do it just perfectly, then I'm going to let you into the kingdom. He says, come to me. If you're weary and tired, I'm here for you. If you're religiously exhausted, I'm here for you. If you're continuing to try and keep up this perfect life that is just a fake life that you're trying to present to everybody, I'm here for you. If the world is putting pressure on you, I'm here for you. That's who Jesus is. That's what he's telling us here. So my question for us to wrestle with this morning, for each and every single one of us to wrestle with this morning is, are you tired? What's burdening you right now? What's the thing that keeps you awake at night? Where's the anxiety in your life? The frustration, the anger, the questions, the confusion, Where is your burden? And what are you doing with it? Are you simply letting it consume you, chasing after it every single day, trying to just pursue, okay, how can I fix this problem? How can I make sure this situation gets a little better? How can I make sure I don't turn into uh, just that same person time and time again? Where is it that you're continuing to run to in all of the burden and all of the weariness and all of the tiredness that you may be experiencing? 
Friends, to the person who's never found Jesus, who's never come to know Christ, who's pushed him away, who's kept him off to the side, who's far from him, who has said, I I think I know a little bit about him, but I'm just going to keep him over there. If that's you, I want to let you know that Jesus' arms are wide open for you. He's welcoming you home without saying, make sure you go do a bunch of things perfectly, then come to me. But friends, whatever it is that you're putting your hope in, if it's the approval of people, success at work, distractions in life, uh, trying to make sure that you have good relational hope, putting all of your hope and dreams in one person, I want to let you know that everything in this world is going to fail you. No person will be perfect for you. No job is going to give you complete satisfaction. You're just going to want more. No money is ever enough for you to have and achieve because, again, you're going to want to continue to just consume time and time again more and more things. No no relationship is ever going to be perfect. Friends, the only thing that will bring you great hope is Jesus. The only person who will give you rest is Christ. The only one where you can find a true redemption is in who Jesus is. Would you rest in Jesus? I can say rest in Jesus, and that sounds really nice, and it sounds really pretty and flowery, but the question still comes to us, like, how do I actually find rest in Jesus? Like, how do I actually process what rest with Christ is? Because I, I feel like this stuff is still weighing on us. And, and, and as we consider being just worried and anxious about the things of the world, when we talk about giving rest or having rest with Christ, it's actually handing it all over to him. It, it's in prayer on our knees, begging Jesus that he would continue to take the weight off of our shoulders. So if you're someone who's maybe worried about your job, you're, you're losing your job, you're considering about what might be next, having no idea what's behind the door as you continue to go forward, if you're constantly frustrated with your boss because they're being just super uh, demeaning to you, they're overbearing with their work, they're putting it all on your shoulders and saying, you're not working enough hours, your projects aren't good enough, I need you to shape up and just be a, a little bit better. If for the person who's concerned with, not bring it, with bringing way too much work home and providing stress ac- across your family, not spending any, any time around them, I want you to know to give your rest or go to Jesus because he will bring you rest. Now, it's easy to say that, but what's that actually look like? Friends, it's actually begging Jesus to take the weight off of your shoulders. It's confessing it to him and saying, Jesus, take the burden because I can't handle it and I can't do enough and I can't process it enough and I'm never going to be perfect at this job. It's acknowledging that you're not wise and intelligent, but that you're an infant who needs help. If you're a parent who's absolutely exhausted, frustrated that your kids won't listen, trying to continue to go over and over again and just say, why aren't you obedient? Why aren't you listening to me? Why won't you just do what I want you to do and listen to what I say? Or you're trying to strive for perfection and you're trying to keep up with like the perfect Instagram parents when their three-year-old is somehow running around and they still look perfect and it just doesn't make any sense. Like, would you continue to put your rest in Jesus? Would you acknowledge the fact that you're never going to be a perfect parent? Would you come to realize and see that there's only one perfect parent, and that's the father himself? Because as much as we try to heap it onto ourselves to be perfect parents, to make sure we disciple our kids perfectly, and that they're super obedient, that everybody at church thinks that we're great parents, and that our kids love Jesus really, really well, there's going to be moments where that's not even close to true for all of us. 
even for me. Eden might be, like, my baby might grow up to be 15 years old and kind of be crazy all over the place. And at the same time, I have to rest with Jesus and say, Lord, I'm trying my best to point her to Christ. And I don't know what to do. But I can put my trust in Jesus and rest with him and give it all over to him. If your marriage is crumbling, singleness is eating away at you, you're lonely and you feel distant from people, if your body's failing you, your health is filled with disease, if your family's at odds and you feel like you can't get along with any of them, your friendships are disappearing, if time just feels like it's just going way too fast and there's no time left to continue to work and to process and to keep going, I want you to know that you can find your rest in Jesus. Because all of those things, they'll keep you in slavery. They'll keep you chained down. They'll keep weighing on you if you just keep trying to do it and muster it up yourself. But when we look to Jesus, we know that there's rest for our souls. We know that there's great rest in who he is and what he's done for us. So would you be set free? Would you let him set you free from the baggage of satisfaction in other people? Would you let him bring you home from the slavery of success? And would you let him release you from the chains of depression to come to him in all bodily pain, whatever that looks like? And would you fix your eyes on Jesus? Would you give it over to him completely? Open-handed saying, Jesus, it's yours. I can't do it. I can't continue to process all of this. I can't continue to try and lift this all on my own. We never will be able to, but Christ can himself. The rest that Jesus provides is, is much more than we could ever imagine. And even I'm standing up here as I was processing this, this passage for the last two weeks. As I'm thinking about this, this beautiful, beautiful set of verses that I'm sitting here. I was hammered this last week with just a busy, crazy week that I was exhausted by day one. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I just wish I could slow down a little bit. I wish I could just take a break and sit on my... And, and even when I did have time to take a break, what I wanted to do is just sit and scroll mindlessly on my phone, watch some Netflix, and just go, I want to mow my yard. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and thinking, man, even if I got all of those things, they wouldn't actually bring me rest. They would never truly bring me rest. They might take my mind off of things for a little bit, but the weight is still there. The burden is still present. The only thing that could lift the burden ever is Jesus himself. So friends, whatever it is that you're walking through, wherever your burdens are, whatever uh, exhaustion you might be feeling, would you give it over to Jesus? Would you find rest for your souls in the King of Kings? Yesterday, um, I got to be part of a funeral for a friend um, that I've got to visit every now and then uh, for the last several months. And she's been bedridden for the last three years. And she died on uh, the 30th, I think. And as I was processing just my own grief through that situation, I was thinking back to my time with her. And every visit that I had with her, there was something extremely evident in her life. It was her hope in Christ. The last time that I got to talk with her, um, went to visit her in the retirement home. And as I'm talking and sharing stories, uh, she asked me to pray over her and I held her hand. I handed her some chocolate milk. 
And as we're sitting there talking, she told me she was exhausted, tired. But in that same time, she told me, I'm ready to go home to Jesus. And when I walked out of that room, I thought it would be, I was pretty sure it would probably be the last time that I got to see her, and it was. But now today, I'm extremely jealous of her because there's one thing I'm sure of. Her soul's at rest with Jesus. Church, would you see that Jesus is gentle and lowly? His yoke is easy and his burden is light. We can have rest for our souls in him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the good news that you've given to us today, that you've revealed yourself to us, and that you've stretched your arms out open, saying, come to me, all who are burdened, all who are weary, all who are tired, all who are religiously exhausted from the rules that are continually upon them, whether it's work, life, or, or trying to be this perfect image of someone that we are trying to muster up, whatever it might be, Jesus, I pray that you would bring rest to our souls. God, I pray that even in my own exhaustion and in my tiredness, that I would find rest with you. I pray that for each and every single one of us in this room and that as we read these words, that we would actually let them sink into our hearts and that we would be reminded of the amazing grace that we have with you, Jesus. That we would be also reminded to continue to say, we need you. That you were there for us at every turn. We love you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Church, we get to uh, respond.